as I as I typically do with the with the with the course, I um I like taking my uh, my notes that I get during meditation, also as I read um, the Course in Miracles. But one of the things that I want to do before we uh, before we get started is I kind of want to go back a little bit, right? And so one of the things that I want to do is I want to kind of explain a little bit about the course. And and so what I was what I was doing was I was writing down my notes there's a few topics that I wanted to go over when it comes to the course one of the things I want to talk about when it comes to the course in miracles the book itself and these are things that were coming to me as I just meditate and I just start writing down all these things and I find it interesting during the week to say that I want to talk about these out loud obviously so I can hear it and one of the things again about the course in miracles I wrote here it's that it's a universal curriculum so the Course in Miracles is a universal. It's a, it's a universal curriculum. Now there's not many. There's not many, and these are, to me, a, uh, that when it when it touches that universal course, so to speak, there are not many books that transcend time and space. There's not many, not that many at all, that can do that. Where sometimes some of these books that are are um, are channeled so to speak, we, so we tend to give them kind of like this holy pass or something like that. Um, because, you know, whenever you say something is being channeled for whatever reason, people tend to like say, oh, ooh, it's woo stuff. It's like, oh my God, it's channeled. So that means it must be true. You know, so if I stand up here and I say, this in, th- these notes I took was channeled through the arch, archangel Michael or something like that. And, you know, now everyone's, all of a sudden I got everyone's attention, right? Because it's the channeled information. Um, the course is, 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 was, was channeled, right? Um, and so, and one of the things that I was, what I was doing when I was going through this or looking at this book, I was, the same, I was looking at it and I was describing like, wow, this, you know, the, just the book in general, the way, it, the way it looks and the way it feels, right? So I got this book in my hands and it's pretty heavy considering. I mean, I could probably knock somebody out with this. But when you go inside, you know, the, the pages are very, are very thin-like almost paper-like, and it has that Bible feel to it, you know, the pages do. My theory is, is that these pages had to be light, had to be kind of paper thin, because if they were not, no one would be able to pick up this book. And the reason why I say this is because the, the, the words are very heavy. So the words are heavy, so it had to be put on a light page. So if you have heavy words on heavy page, no one would be able to pick up this book. As it is, and as it, as it stands, most people are unable to pick up this book at the state that it's in it right now, considering that it's just light pages. Most people are not able to pick up this book, especially the ego. The ego does, cannot pick this book. To, to the ego, this is like bench pressing, you know, a thousand pounds. And the ego's not going to have no part of it because the ego is already mentally and physically fit. Why would it need to work out? So the ego is not going to pick up this book because of that. As you may or may not know, this book is broken up into, into the three sections. So you have just the main section, which is the text itself. Then you have um, the, the teacher training or the student and teacher training, which is where I recommend people typically always start at. I do not recommend starting at the, um, you know, at the text itself. Because it's just, you know, when you're going over the teacher thing, even though it says teacher, it's, 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 I want 
everyone to understand that the way it describes it here in the Course is that a teacher is not someone who knows more, okay? Now that's what we kind of broken down to believe, that a teacher is someone who knows more than someone else. That's not true, especially the way it breaks it down in the, in the Course. A teacher is someone who does the work. That's it. A teacher is someone who's doing the work. A student is someone who's not doing the work, learning to do the work. And that's really the only difference. It doesn't mean that a teacher knows more than a student. It just means, again, that a teacher is the one who's actually doing the work. And so this is why I would recommend starting with that um, because it's, and it's a lot more accessible. And it, not only that, but it talks about how to, you know, um, how, how to live when, when it comes to that. I mean, and one of the things that if you can understand this, whether it be as a teacher or as a student, and as it begins and as it says here in the course, and this is how I came across it, reading this, these first just three lines, and it's in the beginning, so most people who have read this or have not read this, this describes the entire book, which states, nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists, herein lies the peace of God. Okay? Nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists, herein lies the peace of God. If you can fully understand that, then you've understood the entire book. And that is what makes a curriculum, that uh, it can be just broken down into something as simple as three, three sentences, so to speak. Now, if, this, if the course is still, if you still don't understand this part of it, then you can go and do a lesson, which is the third part of this book. It has 365 lessons. It's typically, you do one lesson per day, obviously, 365. And if you do one lesson and fully understand the lesson, then once again, you've understood the entire context of the course. But the ego is going to make you think, that you have to read the entire book from, point, from page one to page, you know, it is broken up into three books, so this is over a thousand pages. So the ego's gonna say, in order to understand this, you need to read the whole thing, and you need to understand every single line, which is why people struggle sometimes to read this, is because we're trying so busy to understand what one paragraph says, is that we stay fixed on it. And we're like, okay, what does that mean? A uh, miracle returns the cause of fear, who made it? Um, the miracle returns, and we stay stuck on that. Because the ego doesn't want you to keep on going. Because the ego is afraid that if you go to, say, another page, that you still might catch the aha moment, right? And so the ego doesn't want you to become aware of the aha moment. So it'll make you stay fixed on something or a sentence, which we'll go over um, here. So my, again, my, my thing would be always to start, you know, from the teachers, um, you know, uh, part of it, the teacher and students. And then again, and these lessons are lessons that you can just, you can just flip through a page and say, okay, I'm going to do lesson 160. I am at home, fear is the stranger here. I am at home, fear is the stranger here. And so, and then it, it, it breaks down the context of that. And so, but this is something, again, that you don't have to go from page one to, um, to page to the end. You can jump around. If, I would recommend you guys to just jump around. This is not, it's, this is, it's the same way as, you know, perhaps some people do with the Bible. You know, when they're reading the Bible, sometimes you just jump around. You, sometimes you're feeling something, you flip a page, you read it, and you know that has context for you. For those are, that are familiar with, with scriptures in, 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 in that sacred text, will come into the Course feeling a little bit more prepared for it, because it does have Christian-based ideas behind it. It talks about God, and it talks about Holy Spirit, you know, and it talks about the sacrifice, and it talks about all these things. So those who, 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 who read that might come into this and be like, okay, I'm, at, I'm kind of at home. 
I always say the difference between, say, this and a Bible is for me, this goes more in depth. Where the Bible might say something like sin, well, this actually explains the version of sin, which is not that, you know, you're doing something wrong, right? It has nothing really to do with that. And it's really the sin is that forgetting who we are. It, again, it just takes a different approach. And it's a, it, to me, it's a little bit more, more deeper. And one of the things I've said, and I think I shared this with you, when it comes, it, when it comes to the course, there are two things. You know, if, if I shake this book hard enough, there are two things that are going to fall out of it. And one of them is forgiveness and the other one's love. Shake this hard, you get forgiveness and love. So this has over a thousand page, uh, pages and all it is is forgiveness and love. Which says that, that you know, enlightenment or, or to become enlightened or aware is through the act of forgiveness. Right? I've said this before that it's almost like when we don't forgive someone or if we're angry at someone, it's like, say if I'm, I'm, say if I'm angry at you, and I keep on being angry at you, the, the analogy is, is like I'm drinking poison expecting you to die. That's what anger is, right? And that's what, that's what not forgiving is, is me taking the poison expecting you to die, expecting you to die, which is not going to happen. One of the things that the Course walks us through is how important forgiveness is, how super important it is. And when we say, well, I've forgiven, but I haven't forgotten. Guess what? That's not forgiveness. That's just the ego saying, oh yeah, we've done the work, but we haven't. So forgiving is forgetting. Forgiving is forgetting. Very hard to understand, very hard to do. Because we feel that if we don't, that by forgiving, we're giving permission for it to happen again. And what we do is when we forgive, we understand the energy of what it is. And so when the energy is approaching us, we can either experience it or we can just say, no, thank you. I don't want to experience it. Forgiveness and love. So now forgiveness and love falls out of, the, out of the course and it's right there on the floor and a bunch of forgiveness and little love things are all everywhere. So I gather them all up and I put them in a blender and I blend it and I keep on blending it and I put it into a drink and I drink it. And actually then what I'm drinking is peace. So from the offset, what you get is forgiveness and love. But ultimately what the course wants you to leave with is peace. And I do feel that at our deepest core, at our deepest level, this is what we're all looking for. You know, we want to look for happiness, but the reason we want happiness is because we want peace. We want to be in a relationship of inspiration because ultimately we want peace. We want to be on our path doing what we're meant to do because we want that peace. And the reason why we want peace is because that's the soul. That's, our, that's who you are. The true self, the who you are is that. So your soul, your higher self, your own awareness, your consciousness, it is the embodiment of peace, which is the reason why part of us wants to get back to that, which is why we do all these things to get back to that. Because, you know, we have been forced to believe that peace exists outside of us. And the truth is, is that if that's what you already are, it's all a matter of reconnecting back to the inside. The ego, which I'll be talking about here quite a lot with this conversation, is only because the peace of the ego does everything to take you out of that. So the ego's idea of peace is forcing you to believe that in order to attain it, you got to go out there and get it, however it is. And so even this can be considered uh, nothing more than, well, I'm going gonna, I, I, gonna to go and, and find some peace, so I'm going to go to IVM Studio. And it's great. But the truth is, is that, you know, that's just another tool that the ego is saying you need in order to attain peace, which then says that if you're not at Avium Studios, you're not at peace, and that the only place of peace is at Avium Studio, nowhere else. 
And if the ego makes you believe that, then it's almost giving you a pass to not be at peace whenever you're not here. It's kind of like the, you know, the, the, on Sundays, I'm going to be religious, but then from Monday to Saturdays, I'm going to do, I'm not going to be religious. You know, it's one of those things. So it's very important to understand that, that peace is, is not external, it's internal. And you already have it. So it's just a matter of reconnecting with it. So how can you be at peace with nothing? And that's really important, right? Or how can you be spiritual when no one is looking? And, and that's the, really the mark of, of, of a person who's doing their work. It's not when there's people looking, it's when there's people when no one is looking. You know, and that's when you can attain that. And so some of these are some of the things that, that I also wanted to, um, you know, extract is that some of the times we say that we can't be in a place of peace because of whatever is going on at the time. You know, we have a situation going on, whether it be, you know, something that's bringing us down. And so we allow that situation to say that is the most important thing that's going on is the situation. And so then we put peace kind of like on the back end. Because what's important or what's, you know, important at the given situation is the situation itself. Well, it's important to realize that the situation in that is occurring is nothing more than a thought system. Because your thoughts describe the situation that's going on, which is the reason why we can have the same stuff go, the same stuff happen to us and have two different uh, perceptions of it. I get a bill, I'm ecstatic. Like, yes, great. You get a bill and you might be like all bent out of shape. And so the thing is, is that we're all getting bills, but we all act different ways towards it. So it's the same thing. And so the situation getting the bill is determining whether we're at peace or not. But instead, if we flip it and, we'll, and everything is peace, and then we let situations then come into that, it's kind of flipping it around. Like no one eats, well, I said this before, I mean, no one eats a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with the peanut butter on top of the bread and the jelly on the bottom of the bread. You know, we put it in the middle of the bread, right? So we don't get our hands dirty. But the thing is, is that, you know, everything in, everything that comes through consciousness and awareness is almost opposite or flipped upside down from what you perceive to be here. So here in this world, in this form of this, of this illusion, of this dream, everything is point A to point B. It's logical. It's a logical progression. And the thing that keeps us with that idea that it's a logical progression is time. Because time goes one, two, three, four, five, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You've been reinforced with this for 20, 30, 40, 50, 80, 90, 100 years of on and on and on and on. So now we're programmed to believe that everything is this logical progression. But you have to understand that consciousness and awareness is completely opposite. It breaks all the rules. It, does, it appears and disappears. There's so many things that are opposite, and so in order to kind of flip the ego on its head, which we both, we're doing today a little bit, it's just going opposite, thinking opposite, and saying opposite. So someone on Friday says to me, happy Friday, or, or Friday, or something like that, and, and I say, George, can you just do me a favor and please tell me that on Tuesday, right? Just say happy Tuesday. You know, and of course they're looking like, huh? Huh? Well, I'm not going to do that. No one does that. I don't know why they don't ever do that. But, they, you know, but, but what I'm getting at is that when you start, when you throw like a little, what is it, a little monkey wrencher, I think they call it, or whatever. When you throw a little kink in the, in the chain, especially the egoic chain, you catch it for a loop. It's like it stops. And in that moment of stopping, you begin to know what it feels like to kind of pause the ego. 
It's because it's very easy to pause. It really is very easy to pause the ego, but you have to think opposite of what you're thinking. So the way that I wrote here when it, come, when it comes to that, when it comes to the um, idea of peace, is I wrote here that the ego wants something else instead of peace. So what the ego does is that it postpones it. It needs to have things before it can go there. Right? So you can't, you can't be at peace until, insert whatever you want to insert. I can't be abundant until, insert whatever you want to insert. I can't be at joy until, insert whatever you want to insert. Which then keeps the idea of you got to keep on going. You got to keep on going. You got to keep on going. One of the most fascinating questions that's being asked a lot, especially as it comes to the consumerism world that we're in, is, is the question is, what is enough? What is enough? Because for ev every one of us, enough is going to be different. So my enough is going to be different than your enough and you're different than yours. It's always it's going to be different for everyone. But then you have to ask your question, right? Like, what is enough? Like, most of us are pretty good at saying if someone gets like a sports athlete, gets like a, you know, I don't know, $145 million contract for like three years and they're, you know, and that's not enough. And they want more. And all of us are very, very easily say, well, that's enough already. Why, why you know, why would he want, why he or she would want more? That's, that's enough. Determining that idea of, what is enough enables us to understand, do I need to keep on? Do I need to get more? Do I need to do more? Or can I be at peace right now? It goes back to what the uh, Stoicism um, philosophy believes in, which is depend as little as possible from external things for your happiness. And it doesn't mean that something doesn't bring you happiness. It doesn't mean that all of you being here doesn't make me happy. It's, but it becomes a bonus and not that I'm dependent on it. Again, so whether if one person is here or no people are here, it's not going to disturb my level of peace. By, by depending as least as possible, say, on external things, then you, then you start becoming dependent on it. And, and the less dependent you come on external things, the more freedom you'll have. And so the difference between, say, um, the ego and the spirit is that the ego is about incarcerating you, putting you in this, what I call this golden cage, where the, where the soul is all about freedom which is the most, you know, one of the things I talk about the most, that I always feel like the most important thing in a relationship. For me, and I say this over and over again, it's not communication, it's freedom. Communication can come second, third, fifth, tenth, or whatever. I'm not saying it doesn't have its importance, because it does, but communication is logical. Communication comes from here. Relationships are not built up here. Relationships are built in the heart. So freedom is not a logical construct. Freedom is not up here. Freedom is in the heart. And so the most important thing in any relationship is freedom. That's number one. There's a reason why we, we, we struggle in, in, in some of these relationships, because we say that communication is the number one thing. And so what happens is what becomes the number one thing, then relationships become logical. And so when something that creative happens in the relationship, then we're all of a sudden trying to deal with it logically instead of feeling it. Like sometimes we feel it's off, but logically we can't do anything. Logically, we have to be in this relationship because I'm invested in it. Logically, although we're not listening to our hearts, which again, freedom is creative. When we look at relationships, all relationships, as nothing more than a creative masterpiece, then we can leave the canvas when we want to and return to it if we want to. Or decide, okay, this painting is finished. You know, sometimes, you know, they just do abstract minimalism paintings. They just do one line and call it done. Charge like a million dollars for it and get paid. 
ego creates is one of the things is that the ego creates suffering. You own it. The positive parts of the ego is what is how is what and how it encourages suffering. I've said this before as far as the as the as the steps when it comes to suffering, right? It all starts with trauma, right? Trauma is the foundation. And that's now that's like underground. What I mean is that when you look at something and you start going deeper, that's when you uncover trauma. Because at the surface level, that's not where trauma is. So when we look at something, so it begins on top of the surface. Um, we have hurt, pain, and disease. I've talked about this before. On top of the surface, where it's visible to see, I can see it visibly. Hurt, pain, and disease. That's the process. Feeling hurt. We're not dealing with it. Hurt. We're hurt. We're hurt. We're not dealing it. We're holding it. We're not releasing it. We're holding it. We're hurling, holding it. Then what happens is our hand starts hurting. Our hand starts hurting. But actually, it's not that our hand is hurting. It's because we're feeling pain in the hand. So we don't deal with the hurt. Hurt turns into pain. Now pain is bringing attention to us. Now my, I have pain in my hand. But I don't deal with it. I don't deal with it. I don't deal with it. And so that finally that pain, it, it, it makes my hands get all cripply. And so now, and now I go to the doctor, and guess what? Now I'm dealing with a disease. They just call arthritis. So it all begins with hurt, or so we thought, because that's at the surface level, because we can see that hurt, pain, disease. Then under the surface level, right, under it, when we go one layer under, that's where we encounter suffering. And suffering, if we don't deal with suffering, it leads to hurt, which then leads to pain, which then leads to disease. Suffering is the, is, is the choice we make to either become enlightened or to go into hurt. Suffering is an invitation for enlightenment. 95% of the people go through it. 5% of the people don't have to suffer in order to become enlightened. But the truth is, is that even, you know, someone as powerful as, as, uh, as, as, as far as wisdom goes, as, as Jesus went through his own suffering, and someone is as the, as the Buddha went through his own suffering of letting all his possessions go and, you know, being from an abundant family into, you know, to having just a robe and a bowl, you know, and that's his, it was his form of, of suffering. Suffering is that choice. And so if we don't, if we choose, which most of us sometimes don't because we don't understand it, we don't choose to become enlightened out of suffering. We go into hurt, pain, and disease. I, I believed for a long time that that's where, it, that's where it ended, below the surface. But what I started to do is look deeper into that surface. And so what I found out is that I went underneath the surface, it was suffering. I started to dig a little bit deeper. And as I said this before, what I found was trauma. So trauma is actually the onset of, of all of this. Trauma, not dealing with trauma because a lot of times we bury it. And how can we find it if we don't even know it? Sometimes trauma can begin even when we're in, 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 the, in the stomach, as a, as a child. Even as a seed, trauma can begin at that level. So for me, for those of you who don't know, um, one, of my, one of my trauma was uh, scarcity. And so a lot of us, or not a lot of us, but some, you know, I've talked to quite a few people that they, they have, you know, the scarcity mindset. But a scarcity mindset doesn't come from okay, I lost my job and all of a sudden I'm going to be scarcity. Actually, it stems or it, it, it ignites a traumatic event that happened way, 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 way back when. And for everyone, it's going to be different. For me, it wasn't. Mom and dad, right? They had, mom and dad's typically what you, what you need. I have an older brother. And so my dad at the time, you know, he just wanted one kid. That was it. 
So yes, my older brother was born and I was good. You know, things happen. And so my mom was pregnant again. And so he kind of like, you know, he, he flipped his lid. He was like, no, no, no. I just said one. I'm out. They were married and all for years or whatever. And he just left, was left. And so my mom at the time was also at the 10 now, you know, again, I was, I was, you know, in her. And now she started to feel all these things. She was anxiety, anxiety was going into her system, going into my system as a child. But now the, one of the biggest things was that's when she started going into um, her own scarcity mindset because she didn't have the money to afford. You know, it was just her. Now she was going to be a single parent with one kid and then one on the way. So she was trying to, because this is how my mom is very attached. She was trying to get back with him, but he didn't want nothing to do with it. So now trying to depend on getting back with him, not really focusing on the fact that she was pregnant. Because that was important because that scarcity mindset triggered all that. So now, I, again, I'm taking in all the scarcity. So much so that um, she was almost no home. That her, my other grandmother, you know, my, my dad's mom, dad's mom took my mom in. So my mom was living with ex-mother-in-law, if you want to call it that. Because even ex-mother-in-law felt that that was not right what he had done. And he left the state and everything. I mean, just completely just went just went AWOL so for years and years and years that's where my my um scarcity mindset came from and so I grew up with that I grew up with it and then so growing up and as I as I was older you know I mean we only got you know we we had this mentality I mean you know living in New York it was we were very you know we had a roof over our our you know our heads but you know it was very limited in the stuff we had or the stuff we got you know we only got maybe you know, presents once a year if lucky, twice a year if lucky, you know, but my mom never told us why we were only getting that, you know, to sit us down and say, well, this is the reason why none of that. So all I'm doing is looking and projecting that we don't have what my cousin on the block has or my other cousin up the block has, and they have all these things and I don't have all these things and I want to get those things and how can I get those things? And when I get those things, I'm going to hold on to those things because I don't want to let those things go. So that whole scarcity mindset just begins to uh, propel and it begins to carry on and on and on. And so now I'm living with this idea of scarcity. And again, it just led on and on and on. So then again, that, that was a, a traumatic event, which I did not even encounter until I would say like maybe two years ago when I started doing some meditations and to go that deep that for me, my traumatic experience started when I was just a seed. I had and and it was and it came through uncovering some other things that I was able to locate that. But point being is that if you go back far enough to what your 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 trauma is or whatever that traumatic event that you've had, you may be able to then see the path of why it is you act or do the things you do now. And it doesn't start from again. It doesn't start from something that happened, you know, yesterday or even ten years ago. But I would suggest that you know through all your your meditation is to ask. What traumatic experience have I had? Bring it to my awareness. Most of the times it would be, I would, and it's most of the times I would say it's between the ages of like, say, 13 and under. And I would even, uh, and I would even go higher or higher or lower in this case and say from 10 and under that most of all of our traumatic experiences are from that age. And if we can be with that meditation and we can do the work, do the forgiveness, forgiving ourselves, forgiving others, 
that we can then start unraveling all this, you know, where we're at currently in our mindset today. One of the things that, that, I, that I wrote in my meditation, and this is one of the things I just want to point out, and again, it goes back to the logic and the ego, is that knowledge, knowledge is, is uh, <laughs> so knowledge and knowing are two different things. The, so one of the things is that I, I wrote here is that knowledge and knowing is two different things. Knowing intuitively, knowledge up here. Knowledge and knowing are two different things. So one can have knowledge, and that's great. Um, but just understand that knowing is not the same as knowledge. Knowing comes from your gut, intuition. Knowledge is something that comes from up here. You know, having a knowing is, will always be more than, than having knowledge. Because knowing is more, even though this world out here functions in knowledge, it functions with the ability of, you know, trying to know more than the next person. Um, but knowing is more of a, you know, it, it's, it's again, knowing is, is more your connection to source. Knowing is, you know, just again, allowing your intuition, your creativity to kind of guide your path, guide your, 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 you know, your way towards, once again, going back into that, into that piece. So what the ego will do is it'll always say, and again, it goes back to the question of what is enough. The ego will say, how can we accumulate more knowledge? Now, it's not to say that having knowledge is, not, is, is a bad thing, because you need knowledge in this world. Because knowledge is of this world. Knowledge is of this realm. Knowing isn't. Wisdom is not. Knowledge is of this world. So it's good to have that. I'm not saying it's not. But at the same time, it's like, how do we live our lives? Are we living it through knowledge, or are we living it through a knowing? Because a knowing will always look different than knowledge. Knowing doesn't make sense, kind of. Knowledge does. Knowledge says, I need to have a backup plan before I leave my job, right? It makes sense. Most of us would do that. Knowing says, Chris, leave your job. Trust me, right? And this is the problem that we do is that we don't trust the universe enough. How is it? And, and, and I understand that we don't trust the universe enough because we don't even trust ourselves. So when we don't trust ourselves, why would we trust something we can't see? And so instead, we don't trust ourselves. We don't trust something we don't see. So then we go to other people to ask them what their opinion is. And, and eight or nine out of 10 times, even the, those who you're asking don't, don't trust themselves. And so it's just a, it's, it's like, a, you always say, like a dog chasing his tail. And so we keep on looking for people to, to, to give us the permission, which is what I, you know, I encounter most people do, because most people know what they want to do. And so you tell them what you're feeling, and then they'll say back, like, you know, yeah, that's, that's, I've, been, I've been feeling that too. It was, why'd you ask? Right? And so most people ask because what they're asking is not for the information. They're asking for permission. And what they're asking for when it comes to permission is realistically sometimes is that they're even asking for the permission. Is it okay for me to fail? Which is really sometimes what we do. Because we don't want to fail. And why would we want to fail? Because no one wants to fail. We were brought up as kids that failure is a bad thing. Failure, start F. Fear starts with F. You know, big F, red, and they circle it like 20 times to make sure you see it. You can see a giant F. You don't need to circle it and put it in red, right? And why red? Anyway, it just stands out. I think red has something to do with our brain. You see red, it's like, eh. Um, it emo emotionally stimulates us, I believe. You know, but these, these are the things that we're asking for permission when it comes, when it comes, a, when it, when it comes to this. 
this is the, the and so one of the things you know and that and this is what we find most difficult not only with um with with our struggles whether it comes through suffering but through our challenges is the relationship one that we have with ourselves and the relationship we have with others so the relationship we have with others the relationships we have with ourselves are sometimes the most challenging most difficult pathways that we navigate and so if we can approach every relationship with being at peace or being kind instead of right it just lowers it just lowers the 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 tension between all relationships you know if i approach a relationship not wanting to be right and just instead of being kind or listening even 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 if it's something that you know they feel that you know they want to express something that they feel is right you know sometimes it's better to be kind and just you know yeah okay and so we can say well you know aren't we like Manip- not manipulating them because that's not the right word but if they say two plus two is five should i correct them or is that my ego wanting to correct them now if they go into the grocery and then and, and i guarantee you someone will tell them but the truth is, is that i don't have to be the one to tell them that but if what if they're in joy believing that two plus two is five you know they have their reasoning for it they've seen something that i haven't seen in their vibration wherever they're at that's what it is but in minds it's not but then who am I to say that mine is right and theirs is wrong? Again, that's just ego perception. Because the truth is, is that there's only one thing, love, forgiveness, peace. And there is no misconceptions between any of that. Because peace is not something you describe. Love is not something you describe, even though we try to. It's just something you feel. It's something you know intuitively. It's something that's creative, something that brings us um, peace. But one of the things that I found is that in order to attain peace, in order to get there, the most easiest way to get there, at least for me, is to be in the present moment. Is what we were talking about in this, uh, you know, the quick meditation we just did. Is that because if you can be in the present moment, you can be in the presence of the present moment. So being present in the present moment, having your presence within that moment, then everything is is what it is right and this is what they call the isness isness being and isness means nothing more than just allowing things to be whatever it is that they are like a loud car is a loud car you know that's what being present in the present moment or having the presence to be in the present moment is accepting the isness or what the car is which is loud and so we just let it be loud like whatever but we're in that and so when we're in that state of accepting everything that is the ego has a huge problem with that because the ego's function is to judge so that way it can separate between two so that means that you know a loud car yes you have a loud car i don't have a loud car so my car is better than your car because yours is loud and mine isn't and this is what it means for the ego to be better than because the ego's thing is is division it's separation it, it creates a it, it, it not only creates that separation but that's its function because if it can create the separation then it can stand out which is what again it's something that all of our egos do to one extent to another again is it good to stand out in this world not necessarily so but the way that this world formulates and the way it's constructed we're forced to believe that we need to stand out that we need to 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 do extra effort in order to stand out when in when in truth if you just show up, be peace, whatever happens will happen. And whatever it is you're doing, other people will see. And again, it goes back to that part of just being it and not talking about it, right? Being in spirit, being inspired, just showing up and doing the work 
and again, becoming a teacher and then letting other people see what it is you're teaching and not necessarily to say, hey, look at me, look at what I'm teaching. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Instead, rather, it works more towards just, you know, it goes back to just being. We, and again, because the ego just wants to control everything. It wants to have this, a certain outcome to stuff, right? The reason why we plan, the reason why our thought system, which is what I call a compulsive thought system, the compulsive thought systems of our minds is always constructing the future. I know some of us, probably even right now, thinking what I got to do later, what I got to do Monday and Wednesday, I got this and Thursday. And, and, and the thing is, is that you thinking about it is not going to make it happen. Because if you're thinking I got to do this on Wednesday, you can keep on thinking about doing it on Wednesday, but it's not Wednesday. So no matter how much you think about it, you can't do it. This is what's referred to a compulsive thought system, and this is where the ego just comes in, comes in, comes in, comes in. One of the things I share with A.V. this morning is uh, she, she said the word, you know, like in, we talked about something. She said like intent or intention, and I was like, you know, I said in my meditation this morning, I came to this conclusion that intention is nothing more than, than an elegant way of saying compulsive thinking. Intention sounds nice, though. You know, put your intention out there. I am beautiful. I am, I am joy, I am love, I am, I am abundant. Now, these are great intentions. I'm not saying they're not. They're great words. You know, you're putting it out there, universe, I am, I am joy, I am joy. But, you know, the way the intention works is that you got to keep on saying it. But how much different is that than a compulsive thinker? I'm abundant, I'm abundant, I'm abundant, I'm abundant. And so now your mind is going, I'm abundant, I'm abundant, I'm abundant. And so that's nothing more, again, than a compulsive thinking. It's no different than thinking what you have to do on Wednesday. The only difference is that we would call this more a, a better way or a better compulsive thought system. But in reality, it's, you can, it goes back to what I was saying. I am abundant. I am abundant. You know that. You get a bill. Like, okay, cool. Cool. I'm happy. That's abundance. Because we can't say I'm abundant. I'm abundant. I'm abundant. Get a bill and then just be all, ah, because of what you're saying to the universe is that you're not. Because why would you freak out of a bill if you're abundant? Just this is, it's kind of a logical playing a logical role in a unlogical system of how it operates. So I would say that when it comes to, you know, intentions, as I'm coming to, to my own awareness of, of, of it, is to say in the morning, you know, I'm abundant. That's it. And then go my, go, and then be that throughout the whole day. Meaning that I'm at, I'm at, I'm at joy the whole day. I'm abundant. I'm, 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 have, I'm acting that out. I'm being it. So instead of talking about it, I'm being it, I'm acting it. You know, a lot of times what I do in the vending machines is because I, I typically, you know, always have change in my pockets. And at work, I'll just pass by the vending machines because, you know, I'm not a vending machine kind of person. Um, but I'll always have like, you know, and everything in the vending machine at, at, at you know, where I work at is, uh, <laughs> it's almost like $5. I don't know. <laughs> the vending machine is expensive. But what I'll do is I'll, I mean, I'll, you know, put like, you know, $3 in there or $2 or 75 cents or quarters or whatever, and I'll just walk away. And, you know, and that's just money in there for someone else. That's my abundance. I'm abundant. So why would I, you know, hoard on to, hoard on to 75 cents or $1.50 if I'm abundant? You know, when you're abundant, you give it away. You give it away. You give it away. And whatever that is, joy, you give it away. Peace, you give it away. You give it away because you know, you know it's coming back. And so I don't have to be compulsively thinking about it the way the ego would want me to compulsively think about it. It's a huge, huge awakening, a huge understanding for me. Uh, it's my aha for the week, just in case you ask. That's mine. I'll ask you later what's yours.
<laughs> that's not to go down a slide several times. One of the, one of the things that uh, that I also like is that um, it, it's just creating. Um, this is, and I find this kind of funny to me, because I do feel that consciousness awareness is kind of like um, it's like one of those those uh, those Cohen's. I think they call them Cohen's. Those Zen things that are like you know, even like the Tao, like do nothing and everything gets done. And it's like, that's an oxymoron. What do you mean? Do nothing and everything gets done. If I'm doing nothing, nothing's going to get done. But I'm realizing though, is that the quote unquote, the more layers of unawareness I peel away from myself, the more awareness is exposed. So I'm peeling out all the levels of unawareness that are around me. I peel them off. But what I'm realizing is the closer and closer and closer I get to my own awareness, the less I know, the less I know. And I'm thinking like, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking because I'm, I'm trying to logically understand this is how is it that I can become more aware and I know less than I did before. I can't explain it. Even now I can. But I, I can say this is hard to explain, hard to describe. But in a sense, it's like I feel like I know less. I know less than I did last year. And yet we can have this conversation and at the end of this conversation, you'd be like, oh, shit, man, if he knows less, then I really don't know anything. Or, or I know a lot then. So maybe that's the best thing. So I know less. You guys know a lot. <laughs> that's good. I, I, I can't explain it other than it's just that's what I know is how we attain this, this level of peace. And maybe it is, is maybe what we have to do is once we start peeling back the layers of unawareness, we see the awareness. But awareness is an empty vessel. Right? And through emptiness, we become full. It's one of the things that a lot of the, you know, even in Zen, it's, it speaks a lot about that. And that that's the true goal. Even in Buddhism, that's the true goal is, is this emptiness, right? And I become, but the idea is, is that by becoming less, it allows, it allows your consciousness to then be, to be filled with, with more of that emptiness. This is one of the things is that, so maybe perhaps, you know, it's a good time to like stop attaining more knowledge. And then allow the knowledge that you already have to like marinate, you know, let it just, let it just level out through your system. And instead of the knowledge seeking through other forms of knowledge, whether it be through, through people or, or through books, instead you just sit out in nature and allow that to become your next teacher. Not necessarily a person like me or a book or even your notebook, but instead allow silence to become your next, your, your next teacher. Let silence tell you, What's the next level of awareness on awareness? There's quite a few people that have been sharing with us um, yesterday's meditation that we did out in, the, uh, out in the park yesterday that they had all these, you know, really aha moments. You know, one of the things AV and I keep on saying is the reason why is because they were in nature. It's because, you know, doing the meditation of that magnitude out in nature and just, you know, hearing the sounds, the wind and some of the birds and the river, for those who could hear it in those, in those gaps, you know, I feel that that was, those, that was what really brought these level of awareness out. Because it's already there, but what we do is we attain more knowledge, we kind of sink that information down. Again, which is the reason why we've got to know more than the next person. The reason why we keep on reading books. Like, how many books you got to read? I mean, if you're reading a book just to read, that's different. Like, if you're reading a fantasy book or a sci-fi book that's completely out of left field, or a romance book, or whatever it is, that's completely different, because you, now you're just exercising your imagination. But now, if we keep on reading self-help books, like, how many self-help books do you got to read? Right? Or how many spiritual books do you have to read, really? I mean, it's because spiritual is not going to come from a book. The same way awareness is not going to come from your mind. The ego is unable to, 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 to make you aware.
It can't. Awareness is a language the ego doesn't understand. Divinity is a language the ego doesn't understand. Doesn't even know how to translate. Intuition, the ego can care less about that. You know, the only thing the ego can focus on is logic, linear, straight process. And how can I be better then? Because the ego wants to stand out. Because the ego's idea of enough is more. The ego's idea of enough is more. And the truth is, is that the, of the word more, nine times out of ten, it's an egoic statement. More is an egoic statement. Even if I say, you know, all of you are great, but I wish there were more people here. That's an egoic statement. Now, it, doesn't, it may not sound like that because what, we're, what I'm talking about are three important factors here. Forgiveness, love, and peace. So why would I not want more people to just to carry on this message of that? But who's to say that having more would make any, any difference with that? It's almost to say that um, what's enough? It goes back to that idea that you know more, again, is, is, it always comes down to understanding the context of the word more whenever you're putting it into a, or whenever you're speaking to someone. And so it goes back to that idea of you know, what we consider what, they, what the Course talks about is errors, and that all errors in drama um, that occur within us and outside of us is nothing more than a call for help. So the errors or the misconceptions, the dramas that we have going on internally and the ones that go on externally is nothing more than, um, than a, it's a call for healing at some form, at some level. And so when we can pay attention to our own level of that, um, our own understanding of that, then we understand that our problems, our situations, and all this other stuff are very, very, very small, even though our ego is going to make it appear big. One of the things that I know Dr. D talks about, Wayne Dyer, you know, he talks about the ocean, you know, like you put a glass in the ocean and you take it out and then you ask, and, and, then, and then if you ask the, um, the little bottle or whatever, like the water, it's like, you know, what are you? You know, are you the ocean? And that little glass of water is going to be like, no, I'm, I'm just this little glass of water and, and I'm here and the, and the ocean is over there. You know, that's again the separation, the division. But the, the truth is, is that that glass, that water that's in that glass is still the ocean. Like it, just because you took it out of the ocean doesn't mean that's no longer the ocean. And the same thing with us. We come from magnificence. We come from source. We come from love. We come from all these beautiful things. And, and then we get this idea of separation and we think we're not that anymore. And so when you come to the understanding that you are that, you are love, you are peace, you are the ocean, then you start realizing that all these problems change in their own format or they begin to even shift when they get to an understanding to be able to see it. That these problems are no longer the problems we assume them to be. But the ego wants to make these problems big. So that you can focus on the problem instead of seeing the context around the problem. Again, if you, if you underlay peace and put everything on top of that, then everything will appear different and you will react different to all of that. And it won't be, you won't act the same to every situation when it, when it comes to that. Our, our thinking and our thought is what obviously what creates the separation. And that's where duality exists. And one of the things that, and again, it goes back to the role of teaching is that Words will begin to be less and less important as you accept, you know, your own consciousness. Again, words will appear less and less important as you accept your own consciousness, as you become aware of your own awareness. What does that mean is that it's, it's again, it's another thing, it's a little challenging to explain, but you come to a point where, where words 
are not needed. They're good to have. I'm not saying they're not. It's good to hear. But it, it goes back to the knowing, right? It goes back into that consciousness. It goes back into that awareness that, you know, it goes to the idea that, you know, sometimes words aren't, um, aren't, aren't needed to explain something, right? So if someone does something that's not cool and then they apologize, and then they do something again that's not cool, and they apologize, and then another cool and apologize, and rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, you know, how valuable or how important are those words? You know, they're really not. And so instead, what's, what's more is that your own awareness is your own consciousness. It goes repeat, you know, because if it's going to be rewind, repeat, rewind, repeat, then why even bother putting your intent or energy into any of that? So instead, you know, you allow your own consciousness, you allow your own awareness to dictate what it is that, you know, you're, you're sensing and your actions and your feelings and you move towards that. Again, with the, uh, with the idea of going back to how can, you know, how can I, you know, open up my own level of peace. As I'm ending it here, it's just that our, the thing is, is, is and what I would say, at least for this week, is to, is to be aware of your, of your thoughts, to be aware of, of your mind, and to under, and understand too, and always in Navy and I kind of do this, is that give your ego a name, you know, like identify your ego. You know, I've always, ca I've always called um, my ego the phantom. Um, now I call it, now my ego is called Dr. Noah. And so I just, you know, whatever, it's a long story. Um, he wants me to share, but I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> but the, but the, thing, the, the thing is, is that when you can, when you can give your ego a name, you can identify it, right? And you know when that's speaking versus your higher self speaking. And there's a, there's a difference to be had in that because now you know that once again, I said this before, the realization I had two weeks ago was that, you know, the ego is the one that's driving the vehicle, all right? Now, you know, they say like, oh, you get in the driver's seat, you drive your life and do all this other stuff. Through my uh, meditation that I had, that wasn't the case. That's not the case. I even shared this in a podcast because I really do believe it was like, aha, that was, you know, that was my awakening, my other awakening, my other aha moment that happened again like two weeks ago was that the ego is the one driving the vehicle. The ego is always driving the vehicle. The ego is always driving the vehicle. You, your higher self, your awareness, you're in the passenger side or in the backseat or wherever you want to be, but you're not the one driving it. And then source, God, is the one giving you the instructions, kind of like a GPS. So God, source, giving you the instructions to the higher self, saying, turn left. And then your higher self tells the ego, turn left. And if the ego is, is, is in harmony with you, the ego is going to turn left. And so what does that look like, right? So for whatever reason, I've already heard this, but only because I'm recording. So source is telling my higher self, Chris, people are warm, put on the AC, right? And so, so, but here though, if I'm now telling my ego, Chris, put on the AC, I get up, this ego, I hit the power and I turn on the AC, right? That's how it works. Now, that's why I need the ego. That's why the ego is driving the vehicle. But had I not need the, had I not need the ego, then source would say, you know, to the higher self, Chris, turn on the a AC and I'll look at the AC, I'll do like abracadabra and it would just start. It would, I wouldn't even have to get up and do that. But this is why we need the ego. Because I can't do that, you know, through here like that. I have to physically get up. I have to turn on the thing and, and work it, right? This is what it means to bring the ego into harmony. So now what happens, though, most of the times, higher source is telling 
um, awareness or, or, or your higher self is saying, turn left, your higher self, your higher awareness is now telling the ego, turn left. And the ego's like, no, well, I'm going to turn left. I'm turning right. This is, this is, this is a shortcut. This is faster. Or, 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 or it goes, it sees all the detour things ahead and, and the higher source is, 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 or, or God is, is telling your higher self, there's a detour ahead, go through it. Right? And now you're telling the ego, ego, we got to go through that. He was like, uh-uh, I'm not going through that. Look at all those detour things. The ego likes wearing those yellow jackets too. So it's like, look, they're telling us to go right. I'm going right. And you keep on telling the ego, like, well, no, no. Source is telling me you got to go through those things. It doesn't make sense, but you got to go through it. A lot of times the ego won't. And it'll go this way. And that's why you have an ego that's out of control. The ego is driving the vehicle however it wants to drive it. It wants to go wherever it wants to go. It wants to act however it wants to act. So, so source is telling the higher self to tell your ego to forgive. But to your ego, it makes no sense to forgive because they're the ones that did us dirty. So I'm not going to forgive them. So the ego is the one driving the vehicle. Again, the ego is probably the one in charge of your spiritual practice, not you guys' spiritual practice, but in anyone other spiritual practice. Your higher self is telling, again, source is telling your higher self, you can stop reading. Just go out into nature. But then the ego's like, well, what's that going to do? Because the ego doesn't want to be in the present moment. What for? The present moment is boring. And so anything that's boring to the ego, the ego's not going to want to do. Because the ego needs that, that, that stimulation. The ego needs to feel like it's always doing something. So it really the way to get the ego out the way is, 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 is boredom. Boredom, I think, has a, is a word that got some really kind of negative connotations around it because no one wants to be bored. And bored people are lazy anyway. Again, this is what we do, right? We tell people that, you know, they're bored, they're lazy. And so they're lazy means that they're bored. And so they're, they're, they're going to do nothing. But in fact, I think that's what we need to do. We need to be bored and we need to be lazy and just be out in nature and, 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 and get some of that instead of just always having a, the need to do something, do and do and do. There's always something that has to be done. There's always something that has to be done. I can be doing this instead of that. It's always going to be like that. It's always going to be like that. You can always be doing something else. And so the ego is going to say, let's do something else. Let's always do something else instead of just being in the moment being, being um, always stimulated and always uh, doing something.